0: What's the sermon? I mean, uh, all I am is yours. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but um, how many of you... Let's not just talk about what we believe, let's talk about how we live. How many of you live like that's true? Um, great song pick, Tim. I think obviously the Holy Spirit was, was uh, moving you to pick that song. That's the sermon. That's what 1st peter Peter's been talking about. It doesn't matter how hard it gets. We are His. All I am is Yours. That's the sermon. I mean, should we adjourn? No, let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and look at the Word. Let's look at the Word. As we've been seeing in First Peter, suffering is a reality in the Christian's life and persecution to one degree or another is guaranteed. We've seen that the last couple of three weeks as we quoted continually, Second Timothy chapter three verse 12. Regarding suffering, uh, thus far in First Peter, God has told us that our trials are necessary. Chapter one, verse six. that our faith will be tested by fire, chapter one. Verse 7. Sometimes we will suffer unjustly. Chapter 2, verse 19. Sometimes we will do what is right and we will suffer for it. Chapter 2, verse 20. And we've been called for this purpose. Chapter 2, verse 21. As we move into chapters 3, 4, and 5 of First Peter, God will tell us that if we suffer for the sake of righteousness, we are blessed. Chapter 3, verse 14. He tells us that we will be slandered and we will be reviled. Chapter 3, verse 16. He tells us, since Jesus Christ suffered in the flesh, prepare yourselves for this same purpose. Chapter 4, verse 1. God tells us that we are not to be surprised at the fiery ordeal among us as though some strange thing were happening to us. Chapter 4, verse 12. I've been saying it the last couple of three weeks. You're not supposed to be surprised when the trial comes, when the persecution comes. You're not supposed to be surprised. What are you supposed to be? You're supposed to be ready. This is what the Lord is saying to us. The Lord says, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Jesus, keep on rejoicing. Chapter 4, verse 13. God says, if, we are, if you are reviled for the name of Jesus, you are blessed, chapter 4, verse 14. And lastly, God tells us that we who suffer according to the will of God entrust our souls to a faithful Creator in doing what is right, chapter 4, verse 19. Last week, it's what we saw... Um, In 1 Peter 2, 21 and 23, as we looked at that text, as the Holy Spirit instructed us that Jesus is to be our example in our suffering and persecution. You remember? He was reviled, but He did not revile. There was no sin in His mouth. He simply entrusted Himself to His Father. We made much of this. Jesus didn't need retribution. He didn't lash out. He didn't have any verbal attacks even though the attack on Him was unjust. He held His mouth and entrusted Himself to the Father, the sovereignty of the Father and the righteous judgment that will one day come. In the midst of slander, physical abuse, and death, Jesus held His tongue. And you remember, we talked about the four things, at least four things He did with His tongue on the cross. Do you remember? He forgave. He evangelized. He made provision for his mother and he finished the mission for which he was sent. Listen, next time you're unjustly attacked, remember those four things. Keep your mouth shut. As Christians, we don't don't lash back. We don't pay back with our tongue. We don't seek to inflict pain with our tongue. We hold our tongue. Jesus is our example. Not only do we hold our tongue, we forgive those who attack us. We evangelize those who attack us. We make provision for those who attack us. And we finish the mission for which we came. That is to glorify Christ. Payback doesn't glorify Christ. Humbly submitting to unjust treatment and still returning good for evil. This glorifies Christ. This is what we've been talking about the last several weeks. So as I said to you earlier, in light of this pervasive theme of suffering in 1 Peter, it seemed good to me it seemed good to me to take a few weeks, step back out of 1 Peter, and get a, and develop a biblical theology of suffering. There's a lot of false teaching, as some of you are aware, in the name and claim it crowd, the, the false prosperity uh, gospel crowd. There's a lot of t- a false teaching here. And we need to have a biblical understanding about what God is saying to us about Christians when we suffer. We need to understand that. We need to understand that God is in it We need to understand that God has orchestrated it and we need to understand what God's purposes are. When we enter into persecution and trial, it's not bad luck. It's not happenstance. It's God at work. And God has a purpose in it. We need to understand that. So I thought it would be profitable for us to spend a week or two talking about these things. And I want to begin with a true story. Some of you will be familiar with some of the details of this story. In January 1956, five Christian missionaries were murdered in South America. Nate Saint, Roger Udarian, Ed McCulley, Pete Fleming, and Jim Elliott were martyred in the jungles of Ecuador as they sought to contact and evangelize a Stone Age tribe known as the Alca Indians. These Indians were well known for their hostility to strangers. And the Indians speared and hacked these five men to death. Nate Nate Saint's son, Steve, was five years old when that happened. And his overpowering memory is not only did he lose his father, he lost his hero. Some of you may have seen the movie. I think it's called The End of the Spear. Have you seen this? There's a movie about this. Anyway, Steve St now is in his 60s, and he sometimes speaks to Christian groups after speaking to one such group and telling them that God had not merely allowed the death of his father and his fellow missionaries, but he had orchestrated it. Some person in the crowd came up and came up to Steve and he said, "Don't you ever say that about my God again?" Now, I've been in ministry for 30 years, and uh, I, I hear this on occasion. When people talk about my God, that's usually what they're talking about. They're talking about their God. The God they've made up. Not the biblical God, but the God they have in their head. The caricature of the biblical God. Uh, The pseudo-God. The pseudo-Jesus. Who is epidemic in much of what is called the modern church. Steve responded to that man like this. Don't tell me that this can't be. If God could plan the death of his own righteous son, why couldn't he plan the death of my father? Steve makes a compelling argument some of you who are familiar with Acts chapter 2 where God is explicit, God says that the Father says that he Jesus was delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. God's hands were all over the crucifixion. And listen, if you suffer as a Christian, God's hands are all over you. This is not bad luck. This is not just happening for no reason. God is at work in your life. Beloved, you need to know that. You need to understand that. You need to be ready when the hard day comes. You need to be ready. You need to, as we've been saying, you need to be prayed up. You need to have God's word hidden in your heart. You need to be ready when the hard day comes comes. The Bible is clear. God gives life and God takes life. He numbers and ordains our days. This is God's divine prerogative. He's God and oh, guess what? Nobody else is. This is what God does. This is what God does. He is a sovereign God. Like almost everything else in this life, we tend to interpret death from our own limited, fallen, sinful, self-absorbed, me-centered perspective. Whether it's a death of a loved one or a death of a friend, it tends to be all about me. Did you hear the psalm that I read? How does God see the death of His godly ones? Did 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 you hear the psalm? God rejoices when one of His own Come home. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His godly ones. I love that text. I read it at my dad's funeral at the gravesite. That's all I read. (laughs) You know? What an awesome thing. My dad's not in the box, right? He's not in the box. He's with the Lord. And precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His godly ones. Steve Saint writes this. Why is it that we want every chapter to be good when God promises that only the last chapter will be good? Amen? You've got to get rid of this health, wealth, and prosperity stuff. If you've been involved in that stuff, if you've been taught that stuff, you need to get rid of that stuff. It is not the biblical gospel. It is another gospel. And what does Paul say about anyone who preaches another gospel? Paul says, let them be accursed. Beloved, don't listen to it. Run from it. Listen, if it's not from God, where's it from? Someone tell me. If it's not from God, where's it from? Who? It's from Satan. He is the father of lies. If it's a lie, it's from him. I know I'm, this is pretty strong, but I know that some people that come through our church—they've been exposed to this, they listen to this, they've read this—this naven and claiming stuff, beloved. It is another gospel. Steve Sain is right. God never promises a run through the park with a bouquet of balloons. If you sign up with Jesus, it's not that. <laughs> it's not going to be that. You know, it's a paraphrase of MacArthur. I've always loved that, that the way he he, he phrased that. God's never promised us complete understanding, and he's never promised a happily ever after resolution to every temporal circumstance. That's not what the promises of God are about for. Uh, so the men and women of Hebrews 11 understood this. They weren't in it for their temporal health, wealth, and prosperity. They were in it. Someone tell me why they were in it. Same reason you're in it. If you're really in it, you're in it for this reason you love Him. You love Him. That's why you're in it. And that's why on the hard day, when it all hits the fan and it lands on you and the persecution comes, you can stand. Not because you're religious. Not because you're a church member. Not because you were baptized when you were eight. But because you love Christ. Amen? You love Him. You love Him. He is your supreme affection. Nothing compares to the affection you have for Him. Nothing compares. This is how it is for the born-again believer. Hebrews 11 is one of the most important chapters in the Bible. God defines faith and then he illustrates what it really looks like. If you don't know Hebrews 11, you just need to go make yourself familiar with Hebrews 11. It's, God says, this is what it is. This is how it lives. So go go study. It's a great, great chapter. It's one of my favorite. It's one of my favorites. So tonight as we talk about suffering, I want us to focus on verses 30 uh, through 38 in Hebrews 11. I hope you have your your uh, Bible's open or your little doodad on, whatever you do. So, um, yeah, so you can follow along with the text. These verses reveal that genuine biblical saving faith knows God is beautiful enough to live for, and it knows that God is beautiful enough to die for. And certainly beautiful enough to suffer for. This is one thing we learn in this great text tonight. Men and women who love God like this understand David's words in Psalm 63. I think I quoted last week. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. Whether I live, whether I die, I love this God. (laughs) And His loving kindness is better to me than anything else in the cosmos. Anything else. Nothing is even a close second Beloved, this is Christianity. This is biblical Christianity. Nothing is even a close second. David says, Your loving kindness is better than life. This is the confession of all born-again believers. God, You are better. You are better. Christians love life. We're the happiest people on the planet. But we know that God is better than anything this life has to give. We know it. We know it because we know Him. One theologian said it like this, He who has God and everything else in the world has no more than he who has God only. (laughs) Ultimately, that's true. You might have to think about that just a little bit. So, real Christians, we don't fall for the temporal health, wealth, and prosperity scam uh, pseudo-gospel. We go with God, the biblical God. He fills our hearts and He fills our souls. He satisfies us even if we must suffer. He satisfies us even if we must die. None of us in here are probably going to be martyred. Okay, I understand that. There may be one or two of you that might end up in a situation. We do have people from all over the world where you could be martyred. It most likely will not happen. But this is the degree to which God's people love Him if it comes to that. Let's pick up here at verse 30. And I want to draw a contrast. Sometimes God delivers. Okay? Health, wealth, and prosperity. They're right, they're right half the time. You know, a broken clock is right twice a day. So they're half. Half the time, uh, uh, they're right. God will, sometimes God delivers. Sometimes God does not deliver. That's what we want to understand in here. Because we're talking about the suffering that comes to the Christian. and Sometimes God does deliver. So we see here, verse 30, that uh, it's, it's about Jericho and Rahab. You guys, I presume, are pretty familiar with the story. By the standards of that day, Jericho was impregnable. Um, but God said to Joshua, this one's mine. I'm going to do this. All you got to do is show up. Do you remember? All you got to do is show up, march around some, blow some trumpets, and then yell real loud when I tell you. Do you know the story? You know the story. It wasn't an awe-inspiring military plan. <laughs> and that's what God was teaching His people. <laughs> you know, ICM is, man, we're just a little joke operation, right? We are. I know that. I'm the pastor of a joke operation. As far as the world is concerned. But you know what? God changes lives here. God changes my life here. God changes eternities here, beloved. This is what God does. This is what He does. It wasn't about an awe-inspiring military plan. It was about an awe-inspiring God. All the people of God had to do was show up. They showed up. And so did God. And the walls came down. And that was their first victory as they took the land of Canaan. Without faith, you know the great text. I say it to you so often. Hebrews 11.6 It is impossible to please God. You must have faith, beloved. And you must show up. God gives what He asks of us. God is the giver of faith. Ephesians 2.8 God is the object of faith. All you have to do is Show up. That's all you have to do. God will do the rest. You show up in obedience, in faith, God will do the rest. So, you know the story. The walls came down, and Rahab is mentioned in Hebrews 11. The most unlikely candidate for the Hall of Fame of Faith. She's a prostitute. She's a Gentile. She's a Canaanite. And she's in the Hall of Fame of Faith, Hebrews 11. Why? Because she believed and she acted. She showed up. That's what Christianity is: believe, act, just show up wherever God's called you. Just show up there. You know, we showed up nine years ago, and God's doing. He's still doing stuff. You know, on paper this operation is—it's—it well, it does, just—it doesn't look viable. It doesn't look viable, but God keeps doing it. All we have to do is show up, beloved. I love it. You know, Rahab actually ends up in the legal genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. This Gentile Canaanite prostitute. Don't you love it that God loves like this? (laughs) I mean, I love it. It gets me pretty excited. Verses 32 to 34, we see how faith unleashes the power of God. As he delivers his people and gives them victory, verses 34 pardon me, 33 and 34, you can follow along with me there. Uh, They conquered, they obtained promises, they shut the mouths of lions, they quenched the power of fire, they escaped the edge of the sword, and they became mighty in war. Their lives and deeds were a mighty testament to the reality of God. That's what your life is supposed to be. We've been talking a lot about that in First Peter. That's why you're still here. That's the only reason you've been left on the planet. The principal reason you've been left on the planet is to make Jesus famous. To make Jesus famous in your orbit, whatever orbit that is. That people may know that there is a God and that He is a good God. He is an awesome God. The writer of Hebrews says, well, I don't have time to tell you about all these guys, so we'll pull one out. We'll pull, one, we'll pull David out who's one of my favorites. Some of you have been around for a few years. You've probably heard me talk about David several times. I love to talk about him, this little goofy kid, right? With a slingshot. <laughs> That's all he's got is a slingshot. Oh, wait a minute. He's got one more thing. What? Faith. Faith in an awesome God. And this, You know, Goliath, he was a, a nine-foot, nine-inch tall... Or three-meter giant. He his armor was 125 pounds, 57 kilos. His spear weighed 30 pounds alone, 14 kilos. And this little kid, (laughs) he goes out in front of this guy, this champion. He goes out in front of me. And, uh, you know, the Bible says that King Saul and all the army were dismayed. And David says, I'll go fight him. And Saul says, You can't fight him. You're a kid. (laughs) And David says, It's not about me being a kid. It's about my God being God. How many of you live like that? (laughs) <laughs> and David goes out. David goes out. And he says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine who taunts the armies of God? Let no man's heart fail on account of Him. I'll go fight him. And you remember what David said to Goliath. I come to you in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, whom you have taught to this day. The Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down. I will remove your head. And then he said, That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Beloved, that's why you're supposed to live by faith. That all the earth will know that Jesus Christ is God. Everyone in the office will know. Everyone at the university will know. Everyone in your family will know. Everyone in the neighborhood will know. Jesus Christ is God. And nobody else is. Our God is God, and nobody else is. I love that about him. (laughs) I love that about him. It's why David went out there. He went out there for a lot of, we could say, peripheral reasons, but he went out there that God would get famous in his face. I love that. I love that. Now, the reason we're actually in Hebrews 11 tonight God turns a corner on us. He turns a corner on us here in these next few verses. God is a full disclosure God, He's not trying to trick anybody. You know, it's like He's not interested in any half-hearted followers. He's not interested in the lukewarm. We've been studying the lukewarm in in our young adult Bible study. You just simply can't keep up with a wholehearted God. If you come half-heartedly, you cannot keep up with Him. He's a God of infinite exuberance. A God of infinite passion. And so, God is a full disclosure God. He begins to say, hey, some people that follow Me, they will suffer greatly. They will suffer greatly, and that's what we want to talk about for the next few minutes as we look here in verses 35 to 38. I want you to see and understand that the sufferings came by faith, just as the victories did. The victories came by faith, and I want you to understand that the sufferings will come by faith. <laughs> Piper says, "You got to believe these things, or you can't." even be a Christian. I mean, you can't live the Christian life if you don't believe these things. That God is sovereign in your trial. If you don't believe God is sovereign in your trial that God is using your trial, if you don't believe that, you will fall away ultimately. You will not trust Him. You will not believe Him when the circumstance gets hard. We have to know this. We have to know this, beloved. That's why I came out of 1 Peter for a week or two. The sufferings came by faith, not because of a lack of faith, not because of unbelief. They came by faith. You can see it there in verse 33. Who by faith. And he goes through the list, talks about those who are delivered. Without a break, he continues into the list of those who suffered. There's no break here. It's all by faith. That's what the text is saying. So I want you to hear me. So by faith, victory and deliverance. Verse 33 to 34. And by faith, suffering and death, verses thirty-five to thirty-eight. Their suffering was by faith. Another way you can see this clearly in verse thirty-nine. Verse thirty-nine is looking back on all the aforementioned, and it says, "They all gained approval through their faith. Those who were delivered, those who suffered. It's all by faith." Any of those of any of of you who have actually suffered. Um, to any degree, you understand it's by faith. You understand that you have to fall on Jesus. You understand that. You understand that it's by faith. Look at the contrast. I, just want to, I want to point out this contrast. I love this. This makes the point so perfectly. Verse 34, By faith, some escaped the edge of the sword. Verse 37, By faith, some were put to death by the sword. Do you understand? Listen. When the hard day comes, you, like we saw Jesus last week, you simply entrust yourself to God. And if you're delivered, praise God. What an awesome God! And if you're not, praise God. What an awesome God! That's always our response. We're not to mistrust Him because it's hard. That's not what we're called to do, beloved. We're called to worship Him in the, in the day of great blessing and we're called to worship Him in the day of great Trial. This is what Christians do. If we are in a trial, it is by the sovereign plan of God. God in His perfect wisdom decides when to deliver His people from suffering and when to sustain them in the midst of that suffering. God comes in great power to deliver or God comes in... Great disclosure to satisfy the heart of His people in the midst of great suffering. This is basic Christianity. You should know this. Probably most of you do. You should know this. You should know that the world will hate you. We've been talking about this a lot. You should know this. You should know they're gonna come after you. If you take a stand, they will hate you. All you gotta do is watch the media. Man, a true evangelical gets on, you know, gets uh, on the media and actually says something that's scripturally correct, boom! They're intolerant. You know? They're Neanderthal. You know? They're ignorant. the attacks will come. If you actually stand on biblical truth, the attack, the attacks will come. Some of you already know that. Some of you already know that. So when the attack comes, we don't focus on the attack. We focus on God. We focus on His Word. We focus on what we learned last, the last several weeks. There's no sin in our mouth. We don't take retribution. We entrust ourselves to our awesome God. And oh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in the midst of unjust suffering and persecution, we forgive. (laughs) Isn't this powerful stuff? We evangelize. We make provision for our accuser. Uh, We finish the task for which God has sent us. This is all supernatural stuff. We've been talking about this. None of us can do this. This is not a rule you can do. This is not a rule you can do. You just have to simply submit to the power of the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit control your heart and your, your mind and certainly your tongue. Beloved, it's important that we see this. I want to say it one more time. Verses 33 to 34 In the faith of his people, God displays his raw power to both his people and the world as he physically delivers them. Verses 35-38, to In the faith of His people, God displayed His utter sufficiency to both His people and the world in spiritually satisfying the heart, soul, mind of His people in the midst of extreme suffering. God is present in both providences, whether deliverance or sustenance in the midst of the trial. So we see how faith unleashes the power of God Verses 35 and 38. As God in His perfect sovereign wisdom miraculously sustains His people in the midst of terrible suffering. This is what God does. By faith, you saw it in the text, Um, they endured affliction, ill treatment, destitution. They endured torture, scourging, uh, mocking, chains, and being sawn in two. Their suffering was a mighty testament to the sufficiency of God. God was enough for them in the trial. Is God enough for you in the trial, beloved? It's part of our testimony. God is enough for us. I hope you see how powerful this is. In my view, this is even, this is even a more beautiful picture of who God is and how He satisfies His people than, than if God had supernaturally and with His power delivered his people. To me, it's a more profound testimony of who He is that He satisfies His people in the midst of great suffering. He's such an awesome and beautiful God. He satisfies them in the midst of suffering. What does real faith believe in the moment of torture? If God loved me, He'd get me out of this, right? That's what most of us would say. Chris is right. My grace is sufficient. That's not the, the answer. No! That God would get me out of this. No! I pray He gets me out of this. There's nothing wrong with that prayer. But if He doesn't, He satisfies me enough. He satisfies me enough. Beloved, this is basic. Really, basic. Christianity. We should know these things. These people that suffered their lives, their trials, their misery, their sufferings, and their death, they shout that God is sweeter than all the momentary afflictions that this life has to offer. God is sweeter. God is better. Man, that's your best worship when you, when you suffer in the world and you, there's no sin in your mouth and you don't take reprisal and you forgive and you evangelize. Man, that's serious Christianity, right? <laughs> that's what we're all supposed to be. Out there. That's what we're all supposed to be. Genuine faith says, when you can have it all, faith says God is better. When you lose it all, faith says God is better. God is better than health, wealth, and prosperity. God is better than popularity and security and, and uh, all those temporal things. God is better better he's satisfying enough to live for and he's satisfying enough to die for i told you last week our lives are to show the world that jesus is better than anything this life can give and jesus is better than anything death can take listen beloved when the when the suffering comes whether it can be any kind of suffering or when the persecution comes when it comes it is your platform It's your platform. You are on stage. The spotlight is on you. You've been called to your spot. This is your spot. God has called you to this spot. You're supposed to go to your spot and deliver your line. Deliver your line. Make much of Jesus. When the hard day... Don't be surprised. I'm always astonished. Christians are shocked! When a trial comes. Why would this come to me? Why is it so hard? Why am I being persecuted? You know, I I just want to say, well, let's open up the Bible and see. God has a lot to say about it. Beloved, don't be shocked. Be ready. Be ready. Be ready. This is what God has called us to. In the hard spot, we don't focus on, you know, the circumstance, we focus on what Peter's been saying to us all the way through this book, particularly chapter 1. I'm going to say it again. You're going to get tired of hearing it. You're probably already tired of hearing it, but this is how I make it through a hard time. I remember I am chosen. This is what this is the first thing Peter told us. Don't you forget. He said, I know it's hard, but you are chosen people. It's the first thing he said. Then he said, you are redeemed by the blood of God. Don't forget that, beloved, on the hard day. Then he says you're indwelt by the third member of the Trinity. He's caused you to be born again. Beloved, don't forget that. God has prepared an imperishable inheritance for you. He's protecting you with His omnipotent power and your trials have been ordained and God is perfecting your faith through them. That's what you need to remember. When it gets hard, just go to 1 Peter and read chapter 1 and just worship the Lord and say, Great God, this is a hard day. And I can't cry anymore. I can't cry anymore. I can't hurt anymore. But I know I'm yours. I know I'm yours. I'm a chosen people. What awaits me is, is it's unspeakable. The greatness and the blessing that awaits me at your side. Beloved, we need to, we need to be able to think like this and live like this. In the, in the hard spot, in the unjust suffering, Sometimes God supernaturally delivers and sometimes God supernaturally satisfies. Sometimes He doesn't deliver. He just comes to us in in the most profound way. And He satisfies our heart and our soul and our mind so much. The suffering is inconsequential. I don't want to make light of suffering. It is real. But what I'm saying to you is God is infinitely better. Jesus Christ is infinitely better. You remember what we saw last week when Jesus told His disciples? We mentioned the fact that Jesus told His disciples that men would lay hands on them because of Him. They would, they would uh, uh, suffer on account of His name. You remember what Jesus told them? You need to know this. If you don't know this, you need to know it. It's Luke twenty-one thirteen. Do you remember what Jesus said? I hope somebody remembers from last week. Okay, I'm not going to offer any cash reward if you know this. That almost cost me in the young adult Bible study, so I stopped doing that. I'm not doing that anymore. Um you need to know this. Jesus says, this will be your occasion for testimony. It's not when it's everything's rosy. Yes, you can obviously give a testimony when it's rosy. Of course you can. But your most powerful testimony will be when it's not rosy. Jesus says, this is your occasion for your testimony to my beauty and my sufficiency. That I satisfy you so much. I satisfy you so much that the suffering is secondary. And we know, we talked about it last week, all the disciples, save John, were martyred. So, some of you know the end of Steve Saint's story. Uh, some of you don't, so I'll tell you. How God used the martyrdom of His Father and the other missionaries. <clears throat> this is an amazing story. It's such a beautiful illustration of what we've been talking about the last several weeks. We don't have sin in our mouth. We don't take retribution. We forgive. We evangelize. We seek to meet needs. And we complete our mission. This is what Steve's aunt, Rachel, did. And Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, this is what they did. These Indians had murdered their brother and their husband. These women went to these, this Indian village and they began to live there. They lived there and they evangelized the Alka Indians. And this was a big deal with the Indians. How could you come here and give us good when we gave you evil? Beloved, you see, you see the illustration here. The, the Indians were evangelized by a woman who was made a widow because of their violence. This is a powerful, powerful thing. Another thing that came out of this, this uh, very public martyrdom that, that swept the world, it was in every newspaper, that missionary applications greatly increased. Thousands of missionaries. Point to the martyrdom of those five as the point when God started to work in their lives about becoming missionaries. And one, on a personal note, Minke, one of the Alka Indians who was in on the killing, ultimately became the adopted grandfather of Steve Saint's children, and they call him Pop. He was in on the murder. And now he's part of the family. Do you guys guys see the what God's calling us to do? You see see how God is working mysteriously and wonderfully in our own persecution, unjust persecution? It's that tapestry illustration. You guys know the tapestry illustration, right? You know, we're we're looking at the bottom of the tapestry in this life. And it, have you ever looked under a tapestry? What does it look like? It looks like a disaster. It's a huge mess, right? It makes no sense. It's just mass confusion. But if you look at the top of the tapestry, what? It's beautiful. Listen, all we can see in the present life is the bottom of the tapestry. God is doing a beautiful thing. I hope you believe it. And I hope that you will seek to live like you believe it. Steve Saint, he understands about Hebrews 11 faith. He had a front row seat His father was murdered. And he says, don't you tell me God wasn't sovereign in the death of my father. He says, don't you tell me that. Go read his book. He says, countless lives have been changed because of this sovereign providence of God. And he says, if I had it to change, I would not change a thing. I trust the Lord. Beloved, this is real Christianity. We trust the Lord. Even when we can't understand, even when it hurts, even when it's hard, we trust the Lord. This is what real faith does. We love and trust Him through the pain and the tears. We love and trust Him when nothing makes sense. We love and trust Him when the heartache is real and deep. We love and trust Him. We love and trust Him. That's what Christianity does. And I'm just going to share, I'm going to close with a verse from 1 Peter 5, verse 10. It's one of the closing verses that we'll see who knows when. Maybe in a few months. We'll get there. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. Here's God's promise to you. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself perfect you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you. To Him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. I think next week, what I want to do is I want to, look at, I want to look at Shadrach and the boys. So you can go read that text. I want to look at Shadrach and the boys. God delivered them. It was awesome. Jesus was in the fire with them, right? And we're going to contrast that with Stephen. Stephen, who preaches the great evangelical sermon in Acts. What happened to Stephen? Someone want to tell me? And we're going to understand that. We're going to talk about those two things and we're going to try to talk biblically about them. Learn how to talk biblically about why does God deliver here and He doesn't here. It's a beautiful, beautiful comparison. I want you to see it. It's meant a lot to me in my life. I hope it'll mean a lot to you in your life. Let's pray together. Lord, forgive us that I think Often, I confess my own sin here that I have such a small view of who You are and Your greatness. And Father, I've give, I'm given to self-absorption. I'm given to principally being concerned for my own comfort and ease at times. I won't pay back when I receive unjust persecution. That's what's in my heart, at least initially. Oh God, teach me to be a Christian. (laughs) Teach me to be a Christian. When the unjust persecution comes, I will be ready. When the hard day comes, I will be ready. I will be so in love with You that the persecution and the heartache will be secondary. Lord, help us to be ready. Help us to be the kind of men and women You've called us to be. Help us not to simply merely hold our tongue, but to use our tongue that we might forgive, that we might evangelize, that we might make provision for others, that we might complete the mission for which You've given us. Thank You for this great teaching, Father. You are the great sovereign God. I pray we believe it. For if we believe it, we can really live Hebrews 11. If we don't believe it, we never will. So Lord, I pray. Make it real to us. Plant this truth deep within our hearts that we would be ready on the hard day. That we would make Jesus famous. That we would evangelize the lost through our actions and through, through the fact that we return good for evil. Help us to be prepared, Lord. Help us to biblically understand what suffering is about and what Your purposes are. We praise You, Jesus. It's in Your name that I pray. Amen.